Before we get started, I wanted to say thank you to the patrons of the podcast. You can learn more about supporting the show at patreon.com slash diapersanddisciples. Thanks for considering skipping one latte a month to help keep the podcast going. This is Diapers and Disciples, episode 74. On Diapers and Disciples, we're talking about living out the Great Commission as a mom. I'm Amber O'Hearn, and today I'm chatting with Colleen Duggan, author of Good Enough is Good Enough, Confessions of an Imperfect Catholic Mom. How do we balance our interests and desires with our responsibilities in motherhood? If you're anything like me, you've probably wrestled with the balance of self-sacrifice in our vocation, which we're called to do in taking up our cross to follow Jesus, and taking care of ourselves emotionally, physically, and spiritually which we're also called to do, to care for the life God has given us, and so we can better love our families. I so appreciated this chat with Colleen about why we should do something we love every day, the power of a nap, and prioritizing our relationship with our spouse. Thanks for listening in today. Here's my chat with Colleen. Hi, Colleen. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. I am really excited to chat with you and especially um, chat with you about your book. But I thought you could start us off and tell us a little bit about um, you and about your work and about your family life. Well, I'm a wife and mom of six children. And I have been a longtime writer for various Catholic publications on the internet and in hard copy. And in the spring of 2018, I published my first book. Well, I didn't publish it. Ave Maria published it. Good Enough is Good Enough, Confessions of an Imperfect Mom. And um, that was something I had been wanting to pen for a while because I think there's a lot of stress that that young moms feel. And so it's kind of like my little love letter to young moms. <laughs> mm. When you think about living out the Great Commission as a mom, what what comes to mind for you? Well, I think of firstly all, all the ways that I fail probably in the, <laughs> in the Great Commission, but really um, as a mom, just undertaking that invitation daily to try to love as Jesus did, and knowing that I fail in my humanness and because of my concupiscence, but that um, God's love is new every day. And that the important thing for me as a mom to remember is that I think moms sometimes get in this rat race of trying to perform and be perfect and strive. And we, you know, go on Pinterest and we see all these things these different people are doing and there's nothing objectively wrong with Pinterest or Instagram or any of the other forums used to display the talents that different women have. But I think it's important to, for me anyway, to remember that the Great Commission involves me getting out of the way and it's not Mm. so much me striving to be the best Pinterest mom or the best, you know, the best mom at the bake sale or, you know, that all of those external things can actually be obstacles to expressing Christ's love to my kids. Mm -hmm. And it becomes all about my striving and my performance and not about forming the hearts of my kids and inviting Jesus into my home and into my own heart. And so I think the Great Commission involves less reliance on myself and more reliance on him to work in me so that I can do his will and spread his love, not only in my family, but in my greater community as well. Mm. I love that so much. I love that idea of stepping back and like getting out of the way and like letting the Lord do his work. And it reminded me, I got that feeling from your book. It reminded me of, um, there's a part where you write about, uh, bringing your daughter to her first confession, mm-hmm. and um, just have it, having that moment, like, wow, I've just been, uh, you know, raising her and like doing my best to love her, show her love of God, and then here you are at this moment where it's like, yeah, it really is between you and God. You know, it's not, a, it's not about me. And right, we're just really instruments right. to, you know, that's really we're an instrument of God's love. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, definitely a, a, a mechanism of communicating it. But um, I also think it's important to remember too that we're probably not the only mm. sign of God's love in our kids' lives. Oh, that that's so good. I think there's a lot of fear that comes with mothering this idea that like we have to perfectly communicate God's love, uh, you know, and that's a lie Mm -hmm. because God loves our children so much that there's going to be, of course, he's going to surround them with other people who will also be instruments of his love. Mm -hmm. And so when we fail, you know, they get a mom and a dad, you know, and if the, if the earthly parents aren't, aren't perfect, which we all aren't, it's okay because the heavenly parents are. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, I I think just having trust in you know the scenarios that our kids encounter that God is still in them even you know even if we're not you know that it's going to be okay. Mm, yeah, I love that so much. Well, um, I I just love your book, and I I was so moved by uh, I think your just your vulnerability which I think is why it's so compelling. I, I just like read through the book so quickly because um, of just your honesty, which was, is so refreshing. So in the in the first chapter of the book, you are writing about kind of like our own brokenness. And this kind of goes into what we were just talking about, how um, there can be this like fear or this pressure of like, I need to be doing everything like right and perfect for my kids so that they like, see this perfect example in me <laughs> of, uh, you know, the love of God, but we're all broken. We have this brokenness. And you talk about how it might be like a cross that God has allowed for, you know, one, maybe to help us to know like of our personal need for him, but two, to like aid in our own children's holiness and pursuit of God. So I, I would love to hear a little bit more about that um, idea, if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit more about that. Well, it's humbling, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, I I would say that you know, as a parent now, and I have I my youngest just turned five, and I have teens. Uh, I have so my oldest is fifteen, so I'm parenting kids from age fifteen to five. Mm. And um, in my own home, growing up, there was a lot of addiction, which I talk about at length in the book. Mm-hmm. And so, my upbringing, you know, it allowed me to develop some coping mechanisms, really performance-based coping mechanisms that I think Mm. we can actually transfer into our religion, that we become religious performers as well. You know, checking off, it's almost like we try to adopt a prescriptive spirituality for perfection. I'm going to say all these rosaries and go to daily mass and I'm going to teach my kids how to be perfect Catholic and then we're all going to get to heaven. And I definitely had not only worldly performance orientation, you know, like I wanted to get good grades. I wanted to um, be a good employee. I wanted to be a successful employee. I didn't care so much about money because I, I was I was devoted to Christ and I, I could see that he was always providing for my needs. It's not that I didn't care about money, but it wasn't like my driving factor. Mm-hmm. But I also... Once I got married and had kids, my that intensity to just excel and perform and ex- and succeed was translated into my family. And now it was going to be my job to make these uber Catholics mm-hmm. and have a perfect home and a great marriage. And it all just kind of crumbled around my feet. And I was a complete basket case and mess Mm. and really miserable. And I yelled a lot and I found a lot of problems in my marriage and I was really critical of my husband. And I I can't say that I was a big, a lot of fun to be around. And, um, I was, I, I was acutely aware of my many blessings, but I also was aware of how unhappy I felt in the middle of all of this and I knew I was the common denominator. I knew my approach was part of the problem. And so I sought out some counseling and a lot of, well, a lot of counseling and a lot of spiritual direction. And I devoted myself to prayer. And I really came face to face with my brokenness. And the way that I had existed in the world wasn't really serving me anymore in my family. And I needed to come to grips with 
a different understanding of myself, not an understanding of myself as someone who was just a go-getter, who was going to make things right in the world, but as a child of God. And that my identity isn't that I have a number one New York Times bestseller or that my kids all go to Harvard or Mm -hmm. that they even, you know, become priests. I think there's, I think sometimes I'm a little alarmed about the way I hear Catholic families talk about, you know, their kids' religious vocations because only God creates that. Mm -hmm. We don't create religious vocations Mm -hmm. um, to the priesthood or to the religious life. That's, that's up to God. But there's this idea like, well, I'm going to make sure that they're exposed so that, you know, they can do that if that's what they're supposed to do. And really it's, I mean, I think I'm not discouraging, you know, bringing our kids to the sacraments and exposing our kids to good, holy men and women of God. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that our ability to strong arm vocations and even getting our kids into heaven, we don't, at the end of the day, it's not up to us. We can only be examples. So Mm. I'm just saying that I, I I had to reconcile this tendency towards performance in the world and also performance in the religion in religion and and I the way I kind of was forced to because I saw how messy I was and I I would sin in the same ways like like I said yelling at my kids and being critical and and that I would be confessing that I'm like I'm not getting what is going on you know so it was humbling for my kids to see that but you know, in the middle of all that, there was a lot of grace that poured out because they would see me go and submit myself to people who could help me, you know, priests in spiritual direction, um, the counselor that, you know, that had a Christian worldview that was able to guide me and then regular reception of confession as well. They would see me go and, um, and ask for guidance. And it wasn't ever I mean, yes, I was a wreck and I don't, <laughs> I'm still a wreck. I don't either, ever deny that, but it was never that I feel like the gift of all of that was that my kids could see that I was open to direction. And so I, I would say that that was the gift of the brokenness is that, I, and it was a grace, but that, that I was able to seek out words of wisdom from other people that I trusted and I, I feel like I could bring those words back into my home, pray over them, and try to live them out. And I, I know that that wasn't lost on my kids. I know that they could see that, mm. you know, oh, where are you going, mom? Oh, I'm going to go meet with father. We're going to talk about, you know, we're going to talk about, remember how I yelled at you yesterday? I'm going to, he's going to try and help me with that a little bit. Mm. And I, I, I'm sorry I did that, but I want to talk to him about that so I can be better. Mm. And um, I feel like my kids are going to have a lot of, memories of me doing the wrong thing, but they're going to have just as many or more of me seeking out grace from the fountain. Mm. (laughs) And, um, it's, they're not, they're going to say, oh yeah, my mom was not perfect, but she knew where to go and she would crawl there if she had to, Mm. to get there. Mm. Wow. That's so great. I, I really love that, um, perspective. It was, do you feel like there was a time when you realized like, okay, this is just like, I've kind of reached the end of my rope that kind of like helped you realize I need to kind of get things um, yes. figured out. Yeah, absolutely. I had just had my fourth baby and um, I talk about it in the book. I had just, it was kind of like, you know, when a drug addict it reaches, hits bottom, they say, this was my bottom. And though I wasn't a drug addict or an ac- alcoholic, it was definitely a moment where, I was out of control. I I felt afraid for the my my little girl. She was a toddler at the time. Had climbed up on a table while I was on the phone. Someone had called me for a church ministry that I was involved in, and they were just going on and on and on about all these things that I was supposed to do. And I was very newly postpartum, managing a bunch of little kids, and and my daughter climbs up on the table and she dumps you know, those little, what are they? Perler beads, you know, those tiny, tiny plastic beads. Mm -hmm. And she hurls the bucket. There were like 8,000 or (laughs) 10,000 beads in the air. And she hurls it all over the place. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there were just beads for days everywhere. You know, I don't know (laughs) if I ever, like if I went back to that house, I bet I still would find Perler beads, (laughs) you know, 10 years later, but 
um, I was totally overwhelmed. Mm. And when I hung up the phone, I just lashed out at her Mm. and I, I, it was awful. It was an awful parenting moment. I wouldn't wish that on anyone. And the, the gift of it was, you know, I went up to my room to calm down and I was crying and I just knew like, okay, I, I need some guidance on how, how to help myself so that I'm not responding so poorly to, you know, that's a, that's a pretty normal thing. She, you know, my daughter was acting like a toddler and I didn't have to act like one also, (laughs) especially since I was the adult. So, um, I, I, that day I called a a counselor Mm -hmm. so that I could kind of start working out some of my anger stuff and my baggage that I was carrying around everywhere I went, you know? Mm, Yeah. I, I thank you for sharing that because it's so, I think it's helpful to hear that because I think we all have those moments where it's like, wow, we've kind of reached, you know, the edge of our rope and we lash out or we do something that it's like, okay, hindsight, I wish I wouldn't have done that. And to be able to realize like, okay, I think I need a change. Like I need some help here. And to be able to like seek that, it's just, it's refreshing to hear that perspective because I think sometimes we, what we hear is, oh yeah, everyone kind of goes through these hard times of motherhood. And it's just, it's just good to know, you know, it's okay to reach out and, and seek some help and guidance if we're at that point, you know? So I, I thank you for sharing that because I think that's helpful. Sure. And I also think it's helpful to know that, that, you know, you're not alone, mm. that I, th- I tend to be a little bit suspect of anyone who says <laughs> that they've never felt deep, a deep sense of at least frustration yeah. with a young child. And I'm not saying that we should act on that deep sense of frustration, but if you're a parent, and especially if you're a parent to multiple young children and you tell tell me unless you're mother earth <laughs> you tell me that you never have, have experienced a deep sense of frustration i i'm 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 rather loath to believe you because i just i just feel like it does a disservice um to pretend that we don't get frustrated sometimes and Again, that's what the whole religious performance thing that I'm talking about. Like we put on these veneers of what a good Catholic mother and father should do. And yes, we should definitely have virtue as our goal. I'm not I'm not suggesting otherwise. But recognize that we fall short all the time and we don't want to wallow in it. We don't have to stay there, mm-hmm. but recognizing it and in particularly if it's something that happens over and over and over again and you're confessing it and you're still unable to kind of, you know, get a handle on it, uh, to me, you know, that's something to look at. That's a pattern of behavior to look at uh, that's that's spiritual and human. And I think that we can address both, both, both the spiritual battle that we're in and that the spiritual that doesn't want us to succeed and to grow closer to Christ and to have holy families, but also the human patterns that we, the bad habits we've adopted that we kind of just now are part of our pattern and we need to figure out a new way. So, and kind of along those lines, I'd love to ask you a little bit about self-care as a mom. You write in the book about this idea of kind of like this approach that we can take sometimes of like a mom martyr where we're in order to like hyper correct, like what the world says about, you know, do whatever you want. We, we, some of us can take this approach of like even denying our own hobbies and interests and our own like care for ourselves, you know, for the quote unquote sake of our kids. And I think we can feel that pressure, I think, in circles of other um, Catholic moms, maybe, especially your Christian moms. Uh, can you tell me about like, have you experienced that and what have you learned from kind of that process? Oh my gosh. Yes. Uh- <laughs> I think there is a, I I remember one time uh, going to the park with my kids and there were a bunch of moms we were going to meet at the park. And I was like, I had just started this book that I was so interested in and I wanted to talk to them about it. And I said to the mom, you know, Hey, I'm reading this book. And the woman looked at me and she's like, you have time to read. And 
I was just thinking it took me, it so took me aback because I was yeah. at that point in time, I was like, reading was kind of, <laughs> was a huge part of my day. It was kind of how, you know, one of the highlights of my day actually. And I couldn't imagine stopping that because I was overwhelmed with kids and you know, I different strokes for different folks. I mean, some people that, you know, a dear friend of mine is a beautiful gardener. She has the most amazing garden, you know, in the spring and summertime. And I, you know, it's like a work of art and that's her thing. But I, I can't ever imagine looking at someone and kind of belittling in with words, an interest of another person. And I think moms do that because it is so easy to lose ourselves in our mothering but that is mother mary didn't do you think mother mary completely lost herself at no she didn't she didn't lose herself as a person jesus living with jesus made her come more into herself Mm. And our vocations should reveal to us a deeper sense of who we are. It shouldn't cut us off from ourselves. And so I admit to feeling frustrated, again, I'm using that word again, to this idea that just because we're moms now, we should no longer enjoy our lives or that everything should be done in the, in the service of our children. And yes, I do think we should serve our children and our husbands, but it if we're not also taking time to care and tend to our own souls, we do just become, I think, clanging gongs, you know, because we have nothing to give. And so that that mom that day at the park, I was like, well, maybe you don't like to read. What do you like to do? And mm. she was very dismissive of me. And, you know, I don't think out of spite or malice, but really because she probably had cut that part off of herself been cut off from her that part of herself for a long time. And so maybe I'm just too selfish, but I, <laughs> I, I firmly believe that we, no matter what, if you're this woman CEO of, you know, the Apple company, I, I don't care. Or if you're an at-home mom with a bunch of little kids, all of us should do something that we enjoy every day. It's God created us for the good, the true, and the beautiful. And when we cultivate those areas of our lives that we enjoy, it honors the creator. It's a gift that he's given to us and it's a way of worshiping him. So if it's if it's reading, if it's dancing, if it's photography, if it's writing, if it's exercise, maybe it's all of those things, you know, pick it and do it. And, and see your soul come alive and, and, and see how God uses it for the greater good. I think the worst thing to do is cut that part off and think you're going to pick it up in a few years or when your kids have all grown and gone. Because God invites us to live, not, not to be on hold for 20 years. <laughs> I, that is not part of his plan, at least not for me anyway. So you know, I'm not saying that we have to be in, immersed or inundated. And if you have three kids under the age of three, okay, fine. Maybe now isn't the time that you're going to go train for that marathon, but it doesn't mean that you have to give up exercise altogether. Mm, you know, yeah. that that's what I'm saying. Balance and moderation, pursuit of, of what is good, true, and beautiful, given your, your natural state in life and, and trusting God with the, the talent to do with it what he will. That's so great. Um, it's so funny you should bring up the marathon thing. I was just literally <laughs> about to say that when you were talking because I, before I had kids, I, I loved running marathons. That's something I enjoyed doing as a, like a hobby of mine. And um, after having kids, I kind of went through this time where it was like, can I still be running? Like I, I didn't, I couldn't quite like figure out like the practicals of it. And, but now I'm, I'm at this great place where I am like able to take my kids out running and I feel like, okay, I'm still like pursuing this hobby. It doesn't mean like I can still be doing, you know, two marathons a year. Like I, like exactly. I used to, but, um, I can still, so I, yeah, I think there's, it's this interesting, it's not supposed to like, we're not supposed to totally like lose ourselves, like you said, but you know, there, there are some sacrifices that come with it. You know, it might not be to the level we were able to like immerse ourselves in things, um, before having kids, but we can't, you know, totally give that up. So I, I'm wondering for women who maybe are at that point where they feel like totally overwhelmed and like they have given up 
all of <laughs> all of their interests and hobbies. Like, do you have some practical tips for maybe just even like reintroducing things? Like maybe someone used to be an avid reader and now they just like don't read at all or, or you know, they used to be a writer, runner, artist, whatever it is. And they feel like they had to let that go. But I, it's so good that you say this because <laughs> it's important to know, you know, God wants us to use our, our gifts and our interests. And so could you talk about like maybe the practicals of how exactly that, that works for you, um, pursuing your interests and hobbies, but also with, you know, now your vocation of marriage and motherhood? Yes. Well, I think, I think you make a really good point about seasons, you know, with a bunch of young kids, you know, you can't, like you said, you, you probably aren't going to be running two marathons a year yeah. anymore. <laughs> so I'm not suggesting that our lives should look like they did BC before children, you know? <laughs> right. Um, but I do think our natural interests are invitations from Christ to serve the world. And so if you're, you know, if running is something that comes naturally to you, one thing I would do as a young mom is I I would try as much as I could to not abandon prayer. And, Mm -hmm. and maybe your prayer is only 10 minutes long and it's interrupted every 30 seconds, (laughs) but God and his grace is readily available in that mess of the 10 minutes. And so trying to discern how to use your time. I mean, really it's it's a question that we we need to ask God who's outside of time but manages time perfectly. We however do not. And so starting first with with the idea that we would go to prayer and say, "Okay, Lord, I my life is so busy." And I, I, I feel as if I want to pursue X, you know, fill in the blank with what X is, but I have no idea how to do it. You know, show me, show me how to do it. And, you know, it might be that you get five creative ideas in, in a few minutes time of different ways, different pockets. I know in my own life, just recently, my husband was going to go pick up... I, like I said, I have six kids and I had two little kids at home and he w- it was a Saturday morning and he was going to go pick up the four big kids from somewhere. And I was, we were all going to go and I was going to bring donuts for everyone and we were going to kind of make a morning of it. Well, I said a little prayer right before and I was like, okay, Lord, what, what is the best use of my time? And it came very clearly that I should stay home and finish this little piece of writing that I had been working on. I was like, well, I don't really want to do it right now, Lord. I want to go have donuts with my family. And he was like, no, I, you need to stay and let him bring the two little kids and go. Well, when I asked my husband if it was okay, he was like, well, I really want you to come because I didn't really want to have to interact. I, I hope I don't want to throw him under the bus here, but he was like, I don't want to have to interact with anyone because I'm uncomfortable doing that. Mm-hmm. And I heard, I kind of felt like, see, it, this is not just for you that I'm asking you to stay. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, well, I really feel like I need to stay. So he went and he had this really positive interaction with these you know, parents that he was kind of trying to avoid because he didn't yeah. want to go out of his comfort zone. And I literally, they pulled out of the driveway. And by the time they pulled in, I had completed what I was, was what, what I was hoping to complete. Mm-hmm. And I would never have undertook it in that moment had I not asked. So I think that God is a creative God. We we are tapping into his creativity. And if we go to him and ask, the, the answers are going to come from all over the place. We're going to have so many different ideas. We're not going to know what to do with them. And we're going to feel fulfill, fulfilled when we're obedient to the different promptings and situations he he offers to us oh gosh I love that so I love that so much that's such a perfect example and I think so often like I forget to even just offer like simple things in prayer like simple parts of my day and um and then just allowing the Lord to provide opportunities that I didn't expect you know I think that's so great I love that so along those lines you um, have have written beautifully about this in the book, the importance of how, you know, sometimes we focus so much on our like kids formation 
and um, like wanting to get our kids to heaven that we can sometimes, you know, forget our own (laughs) formation and relationship with God and taking prayer like you talked about. Yeah, so I, I just love that you bring this up because it's not like what you're saying here is like prayer is so key and that we need to, you know, not forget about our own relationship with God and our own prayer life and be so caught up, you know, in our, in our kids formation. And, um, so, so I would love to hear maybe more of your thoughts on that of like, is that something that came to you over time? Like the development of kind of a prayer life and that realization, like, I can't forget my own relationship with Jesus. Yeah. I mean, yes, all of that. (laughs) I think there is a danger that we make our families our little pet project. We make our husbands our pet project. We make our jobs our pet project. And we think we're responsible for fixing and correcting all the people around us. Meanwhile, we overlook the egregious and large nose on our own face. (laughs) And and also, by the way, we're not very fun to be around because we're so busy correcting everyone else, we lack total humility about our own mm. fault. <laughs> and I only know this because I've lived this. Mm. And I think, you know, women desire to nurture and teach and comfort, but that can quickly slip into control and managing and critiquing. And we just have to be so careful that we're not approaching our lives like everyone is our pet project to to um, get an A on. And so for me, I think seeing, you know, like I was sharing with you earlier, just, you know, having those moments in my family life where I was just so completely broken and wrecked and behaving like a big old fat sinner that I am a sinner really, you know, coming face to face with the, with the idea that there is nothing perfect about me and the way I'm living my life, you know, in confronting that brokenness, that's when God's grace could get in through the cracks. You know, the perfect veneer allows very little area for improvement But when you've got a whole bunch of cracks and gaping wounds, you know, Jesus's grace can get in there. And so for myself, I think it was just really feeling so broken in my own marriage and parenting and then going, going to the perfect source, you know, and begging Jesus to show me and, and also in confession, you know, for me, I, I, I can't speak for everyone, but control is something I regularly confess, you know, every time I go wanting to control my husband, wanting to control my kids, fear and worry and obsessing about my husband and my kids. And, and in confessing those things and in praying about those things, Jesus really is showing me continually. I mean, I talk about it in the book, but but the book isn't over. I mean, the story isn't mm-hmm. over that I try to do his job and it's not mine to do. Mm-hmm. And that it's really a deep lack of trust that he has got my family. He has got them in the palm of their ha- his hand and there is nothing I can say or do to to make him love them more, to make him love me more. And, and that I really can trust in his goodness and his desire to bring me into perfect union with him and his desire to bring my kids into perfect union with him. Mm-hmm. So I think it was a journey of, you know, like I said, really feeling deeply broken, but running to God in that brokenness and allowing him to kind of peel those layers of self-sufficiency and performance and self-reliance away and he's still doing that. You know, he's still showing me all the time, like, uh, hello, I'm, I'm waiting to work, but if you, you would get out of the way, I, <laughs> I, I would be able to do it much better than that, that I'm able to see. Oh yeah. I actually thwart the plan of God because I think I know what's best. And I don't think I'm alone in, in that tendency, yeah. you know, as a mom, because 
our good desires get tainted by our concupiscent nature. Mm-hmm. And um, we really need to bring our desires and offer to offer them to Jesus and let him do the work. I'd love to ask you a little bit more about kind of what you've learned in maybe marriage over the last several years, because something you write in the book, I really love you say, my kids are not a sacrament, but my marriage is. And you're talking about, you know, once we start having kids, it becomes all about the kids. And then we kind of lose this focus on, you know, working on our marriage, you know, which we need to be working on like every day. (laughs) I, I think that's something that's been surprising to me about marriage is like that it's, I thought it would be easier, <laughs> but but I like need to work on it every day in my marriage. And so I'd, I'd love to hear what you've learned um, or grown in with your husband since you guys have been married and since having kids. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm still growing <laughs> sure, <laughs> yeah. all the time in that area, but you know, my kids are going to leave me and I, you know, it, it, I feel like, you know, when you're in the trenches with a bunch of little kids and I had my first three babies in three years. And you you just feel like, or at least I did, that was never gonna end. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm I'm just I'm just staring down decades of fertility, and you know, the babies are gonna come fast and furious and forever. <laughs> and all, there, you know, you just are kind of like, how 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 am I gonna manage this? Well, just recently, my my oldest started high school in the fall, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, I only have four more summers with him mm. before he leaves." And I, it, it was just like I had taken this time that he I had had with him kind of for granted. And I'm not beating myself up, but it was like in the blink of an eye. Now I'm counting down Christmases before he leaves to you know to go to school, college. Yeah. And it's sobering. It's Mm -hmm. very sobering. And I feel like just recently in a new way, I've realized that these kids legitimately are not going to be with me forever. But when you're in the, in, you know, when the days are so long and you're just praying to get to nap time, it, it feels like that is forever away. And, um, it's really not, it really isn't. And so the priority or the primacy of my marriage, putting putting it first, it's been something that I, I've realized over time. Like you know, it, it's hard. Again, when you have a bunch of little kids, they have to eat. You have to change their diapers. You have to tend to them when they're screaming, and your spouse is not going to have a meltdown. Hopefully, because <laughs> you know you're having to tell them to hold on while you go change a diaper. But you know, prolonged years of of that can take a toll on a marriage. And um, it's not, I don't think it's good. Not, I know what I'm saying. I'm not saying don't tend to the needs of your kids, but I'm saying that I do think we need to be more creative about putting our marriages first Mm -hmm. and um, honoring our marriage. You know, I was in a Bible study and I'm hesitant to share this because I don't know, I I don't want to judge, you know, the, the use of natural family planning is up to God and the couple. I have no idea, you know, what different people are called to. But I know that I, I've been in various discussions where with nursing babies and, you know, the return of fertility and all of that, the, the obvious conclusion is kind of like, well, just abstain indefinitely. And I'm thinking, what? <laughs> That's a renewal of your wedding vows every time you engage in the marital act. And for the obvious deduction so that I can nurse this baby to be to abstain indefinitely, I question that. Mm-hmm. And I think it's an, again, if you're having to abstain because you have a nursing baby, I'm not necessarily talking to you. <laughs> I, I'm, ta- I'm, I'm just, I'm questioning this idea that those things that are kind of vital to the sacrament of marriage, and I would consider the sexual act one of them, mm-hmm. as kind of um, the first thing to go. I, I think there's a danger in that. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying don't be prudent. You know, certainly there have been seasons where my husband and I have had to avoid and all of that. Mm-hmm. I, I get it. I, I get that. And, and maybe even years. I mean, I, I've read about couples having to abstain abstain for years, but I think from my understanding of what I've read about that, that is kind of like the la- worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. That's not the, the, 
that's not the um it's a rarity not the right um, it's not the new it's not the first it's not the number one on the list that's what i'm saying right and so i think like for women especially when you're able you know i'm sorry that i'm talking about sex but i i just i think from you know maintaining the sacrament of marriage, sex is a big one Mm -hmm. and making ourselves available when we're able, given the the natural rhythms of our, our cycles. I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. I think, um, finding time, pockets of time creatively again, to communicate with our spouses about those different things that are on our hearts and not just about kids schedules, but about our hopes and dreams and prayers and worries, those deeper issues, those, yeah. those are the way that we feel connected. I mean, we, I don't feel connected my, with my husband when I'm talking about how we're going to get kids picked up from youth group and the party across town. I, I mean, I feel united with him as a team, like, oh, we're in this weather, but I don't feel like I know his soul. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I know his soul when we've carved out time to talk and to dream and to share, you know, about our prayers and our worries and, um, you know, and, and, and to really foster intimacy, not just sexual, but, but, you know, deep emotional intimacy. Mm -hmm. So I, I think when you're in the thick of it, you have to give, give yourself some, you know, be gentle with yourself about, you're just doing the best you can. And I, I'm not saying any of this to guilt anyone <laughs> because we are just doing the best we can. But, you know, maybe in an examination of conscience, evaluating at the end of your, the day who who we're putting first, truly. Mm-hmm. Because I can't tell you the number of times my husband has come home and I've barely grunted a hello to him because I've been so in the thick of it that it's like I almost can't be bothered. So I'm not sharing this because I think I've, you know, mastered, you know, sex and marital communication. <laughs> if anything, <laughs> if anything, I'm a big fat failure. I'm just saying that um, I, I, it would be great for people not to be miserable in marriage before they realize they need to probably change some things. And I have been miserable in my marriage before I adjusted the things that I was doing that might've been contributing, like not greeting him, not, not doing some of those small things that really kind of grease the wheel for intimacy and connection. I don't know. Does that make sense? I I, I hope I'm not, um, being, you know, too harsh or, you know, that I don't want people to feel judged because that's not my intention. Yeah, no, I I think this is really helpful. And I think it's refreshing that you bring it up and that we talk about it (laughs) because um, I think even like in my own marriage, um, you know, when my husband and I are communicating about like how, like we have gone through times where we've felt like not as connected, especially in like, you know, seasons of, postpartum where even when I was struggling a little bit with like postpartum depression and just like not feeling like joy in my vocation. And it's just so important to communicate, like for me to be able to say like, I, I, I need some more like emotional verbal connection with you where we can spend time just like talking about ourselves and our, you know, our marriage and our dreams and hopes. And for him to be able to say like, I need more like physical connection and intimacy because, you know, it's, that is like what I feel like I'm lacking. And so to be able to like express that to each other and to realize that we, you know, what we need to grow in intimacy might even be different from spouse to spouse and to be like, yeah, just aware of that with each other and to, to continue to work at that and grow at that. So and that one leads to the other. I think sometimes women want to feel connect. I mean, the best sex is when we feel connected. Mm-hmm. You know, it, you know, we've had this deep sharing of souls, but sometimes, you know, being available to our husbands leads to actually what we desire, which mm-hmm. is, you know, a deep conversation or whatever. So I, I don't know. I think that's part of the whole sacramental part of marriage, though. Mm-hmm. And this is only something that we can share with one per one other person for the rest of our lives and um, to avoid that because of our kids. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying don't be prudent. You know, I'm not talking about that. 
Um, but I'm saying like, I, I, I'm, I guess I'm questioning like the kids as a, as a chronic excuse for putting off those things that we need in our marriage mm-hmm. to connect emotionally yeah, yeah. and physically. That's what I'm saying. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does make sense. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. And I'm kind of along the same lines of things that we can do or like put off um, that we think aren't important. Like one one thing you write in your book about is um, you say it's not unreasonable for a sleep deprived mom to take a nap even though dinner isn't planned. And I found that just so refreshing because I think we can feel like sometimes everything like relies on us and I have to like have it all together. And so I'm like sacrificing these other areas, but it's like, no, you might actually need a nap (laughs) and that's okay to do and things will get figured out. So I'd love to ask you kind of about that self-care aspect as well. Cause I think, um, sometimes we feel like, oh, I can't, I don't know, take a nap or, (laughs) and you talk about like, maybe your husband needs a nap on the weekend and that's okay. And I think that's just so good to remember. So maybe do you have some encouragement for moms who just kind of feel like exhausted (laughs) and like they're not caring for themselves maybe? My encouragement is to take a nap. (laughs) My, my, I, I think naps make the world go round and everyone should take them more. And I know that when I had little babies, the nap was how I got through my day because I was up so much with with my kids, my young kids at night. But even honestly, I have to tell you, I'm a napper still, you know, and my youngest is five. And now so much I'm not going to nap because I really need to sleep, but I use that time to rest in prayer. And so whatever you want to call it, you know, Jesus went off to rest. There's so many times in the scriptures where it talks about him going to rest. And I, I, he, if Jesus did that, it was because again, it was vital to his well being, mm-hmm. and um, it's such a lie from the enemy and from our culture to think that we have to be uber productive at all times of the day. Yeah. And and I don't want to communicate that message to my kids. I don't want them to think they have to be slaves to their schedule. Now. I have communicated that just so you know, but I don't want that to be their main takeaway of me that I was so frantic and frazzled all the time that, uh, that I, I lacked joy and, um, you can see it there. There's women that when I take one look at them, I, I just think, Oh, you know, she, she needs, she needs a cup of coffee and a quiet room and a bed. That's what she needs, you know, like Mm. something warm to soothe her soul and a book and, and a few hours to herself, but maybe, maybe her life, she can't take it, but also maybe she, she's, she's so legalistic with herself that maybe she feels like she can't. And I think that's a lie. And, you know, like mother Teresa would always say, if you're super busy, you know, you do two holy hours, not just one. And, I think that about rest mm. as well, you know, because we can rest in God. Um, our guardian angel finishes our prayer. And and so what what things are we actually accomplishing in in that um in that sleep and in that rest, you know, that that really that really is in obedience to God because because we are taking care of ourselves so that we can go back into the vineyard and continue to labor. Yeah, yeah, that's so good. And I I I think for me currently in this stage I'm in right now with being pregnant and having little ones, I I love to take <laughs> like a daily nap. And usually what me I do too. is I like put on a show for the kids and then I lay down and take a nap. And I think when I first started doing that, I had this like guilt, like, oh gosh, I shouldn't be doing this. But I felt so much better afterwards. And it's okay that my kids are taking screen time while I take a nap. And um, I just, I think there's this sense of, um, of guilt or perfectionism or something that sometimes we just need to get over so that we can rest and just get what we, what we need that break. I totally agree. And you should definitely take the nap. Not that you're asking. And also I would, I would say that if someone is feeling guilty after, because they, they, 
they did what they're, especially you. I mean, you're about to bring forth new life. You know, you, you have brought forth new life yeah. and you're, you're, you're caring for that baby. And, and that requires that you care for yourself. And if you are feeling guilty, I would wonder like, where's, where's that voice coming from? Mm. Because the voice of God is gentle and kind. And one night this week I had, a t- I don't usually have insomnia, but I woke up at 2 AM and I could not go back to sleep for the rest of the night. It was terrible. So by four, the, you know, that day I was picking my kids up from school and I was driving home and I mean, I felt like I was going to fall asleep at the wheel. And so I said a little prayer and I was like, Lord, I'm so tired. And my husband and I had to go somewhere that evening and I had to be kind of on. And I just heard him say like, Colleen, go home and take a nap. It's okay. And so I said to my kids, I'm like, you know, and I was feeling guilty because I had just picked them up from school and they weren't going to see me that much that night. So I go, I said to them, I said, you guys, I turned down the radio. I said, you guys, I was up all night and I am feeling so tired. And I have to tell you, I feel a little bit guilty that I'm, but I feel like I need to go take a nap. Is that okay? Well, all six of them were like, yes, mom, you should go take a nap. And then my 12 year old was like, mom, I'm going to heat up dinner. So don't worry. I'll do it for you. (laughs) And I was, I was like, Oh my gosh, it's, you know, this is totally from God. And I just went up mm. and I shut my door. And for an hour I was in my room and I, I dozed for a little bit, but I, I read and I mean, it like totally reset my day. Mm. I was like, okay, I, I was able, I went back downstairs. I fed the kids with my daughter and it was just peaceful, you yeah. know, but if I, what would have happened if I'd come home and been exhausted and started yelling? You know, that's what it yeah, could have been. Yeah. And what it has been, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. I'm glad you I'm glad you bring up that story. That's awesome. Um, well, I there's so much I want to ask you about, Colleen. I feel like I could talk to you another hour, but <laughs> one more thing I really want to talk to you about is because you write about your experience of kids at mass and kids like during a family rosary and like I just love it. You liken it to like velociraptors because (laughs) I just think about like our perception of what like mass is going to be like, what like doing family prayer is going to be like with our kids, you know, before we have kids and then we actually have kids and it's like not what we pictured at all. So I was wondering if you could just share a little bit about that for moms who are in that place where they feel like, my kids are crazy at mass and prayer. And I, you know, this is just where we are. (laughs) Well, and just so people know that we had our associate pastor over a young parish, our parish priest, who's a great guy. Uh My daughter, we wanted, um, she has a very wicked case of scoliosis. So we wanted him to do the anointing of the sick. So he came this week and he was doing the anointing of the sick. And my, my two little ones one was cackling like a hyena <laughs> and one would like, because she was laughing so hard. My little guy was just acting like the biggest goofball and was so distracting. And when he finished the anointing of the sick, he was like, wow, that brought me back to my own family days. This was, this <laughs> oh, was this awesome. like commenting on how chaotic it was and how goofy it was, you know, and it's yeah. true. And I was like, well, welcome father. Welcome to the mess. <laughs> So just because you have older kids doesn't mean necessarily that that chaos goes away. Oh, but that's good to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, rest assured, it'll still be there. But <laughs> I think that um, again, what are we trying to accomplish? Are we trying to get our kids to file into the pews and be perfect little Catholics who never make mistakes and who make us look good, or mm. are we trying to form their hearts and minds for Christ? Mm. Because there's a difference. Yeah. We might still do the same exact thing. We might actually do the <laughs> yeah. same exact thing in terms of disciplining our kids, but our motives will be different mm. and the fruits of that will be different. Mm. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, so that's so good. Mm-hmm. If your kids are acting their age at mass and all of mine have done a fabulous job, job of that, it's okay. It's okay that Christ wants them there. And, you know, our job is not to be scandalized or embarrassed because they're doing what is age appropriate. Mm -hmm. Our job is to redirect them and to remind them why they're there and also to be a witness to the people around us. And that might mean the people who are yelling at us because the kids are annoying. And I know 
I've had people yell at us. I've had, you know, priests tell me to go to the back. I've I've had all of that. Mm. So I'm not saying it isn't painful. Um, I'm not saying that it's fun, but I'm saying that, that, that also is an opportunity to extend love to someone who's cranky and, and also even misguided. So it's not just our kids that we're there to, to form. And I, again, I'm not saying make the parishioners our pet project. I'm not saying that, but I am saying that it's an opportunity if someone retaliates against you because of your children, that you don't have to act like a jerk either. Mm. I don't, Mm. you know, I don't have to act like a jerk. Um, I can try to be loving. And it might mean that I say, you know, they're, they're wanted here just as much as you are, but we'll try to be more, uh, you know, aware of our, how loud we are, whatever, but we can still be loving. Mm-hmm. And uh, one thing that my family tries to do now that my kids are a little bit older is that we go and sit in the pews with young families that are really struggling. And we, we you know, we offer to take the baby Aww. or like move the toddler That's so that awesome. <laughs> so that the moms aren't so overwhelmed. And my girls will take little ones to the back and kind of walk with them. Yeah. So I think we just all need to have more patience with ourselves. We need to have patience with our kids. We need to have patience with the the priests, especially if the priests are not, you know, patting us on the head like they should because we're showing up. Mm-hmm. And and also with the people around us because no, we're not perfect yet. We're not in heaven yet. And so that means sometimes our worship will look very messy. Well, Colleen, I'm going to ask you just my few closing questions because we're like running up on time, but I just have so enjoyed chatting, <laughs> chatting about all this. Yay. Yeah, it's been lovely. Um, so how would you say you've seen the Lord at work in your life the last year? Oh my gosh, that is would be hard to just pinpoint yeah. <laughs> in one, in one uh, but I, especially since the beginning of the year, I have felt a um, deeper communion with him in my prayer, mm-hmm. which is a grace. It's not anything I've done. If my tendency is to try to be perfect in life, I also try to do that in my relationship with God. And, you know, I've just been hearing him say lately, like, this this isn't about you. Just <laughs> shut mm-hmm. up and let me work, you know? And so I just have a deeper sense of his presence and his goodness and his desire to heal me, but but also my family. And I'm asking him to grow me in trust that um, even in the trials of my daily life, when I'm suffering and when I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like I'm, this thing may just break me, that he hasn't abandoned me, you know, to, mm-hmm. to convict me with the knowledge that he's right there by my side. You know, when I got sick over the weekend and I was just, I was really looking forward to the weekend. My husband and I were going to go celebrate Valentine's day. And instead I got this terrible stomach bug and literally was in a room all by myself for the weekend, which was good that my husband was home to take care of the kids, but it was really lonely and it was not what I wanted for my, you know, it wasn't how I wanted to spend my time. And what I realized after the fact that was, you know, that I I thought I was alone, but actually Jesus was right there with me. You know, he didn't want me to be sick. And, you know, he, he wasn't, you know, he, he was there holding my hand the whole time. And so I, I guess that's how I've seen him work in my life in the last year, just growing me in this awareness of his presence everywhere I go and in my life. And especially in my suffering that I'm not, that I'm not abandoned. Mm, Beautiful. I love that. And uh, what would you say is your favorite part of your home and why? I have a spot that I go to every morning. I get my cup of coffee in my kitchen and then I go into my living room and I have a fireplace and, um, and, the spot on my couch where my coffee table is that I put my coffee, uh, that is my, that is my sacred spot. And, um, it's just this peaceful, like it almost as soon as I'm in that, that chair, I, I just feel a wave of peace come over me because I've been, I've spent so much time there yeah. that it's almost like a physiological reflex that, that when I sit down, I, I know I'm going to be in the presence of the Lord. And so it's, it's my favorite spot mm. besides my bed, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, those are both awesome. That's great. And um, what have you been loving recently? Oh, well, I've been trying to, I put 
I've been paying attention to my screen time on my phone, you know, that I don't know, I have an iPhone and it gives you like, you can check out how much time you've been wasting (laughs) on your phone. You know what I'm talking about? It shows you your screen time. So I, this, I, the, in January and February, I have been reading more, um, both audio and then also hard, hard copy books. Mm. So I have really been enjoying that, you know, I've read some great books and I feel so edified and so human reading makes me feel human. Mm. And, um, I have really enjoyed that. That has been a real gift to me. Mm, That's so great. Is there um, a particular book you've read recently that you um, would really recommend that you really enjoyed? Oh, you would ask me that. I know. Sorry. (laughs) You're just saying you've read so many. I have to look at what I've read. Okay. There have been a few. Yes, there have been two books. There was a fiction book that I read that the well-read mom had recommended oh, okay. a few years ago, Peace Like a River, which which was just a delightful little fiction book mm. that was so edifying, but also a great story. I loved that. And then I also read um, two, well, I liked The Broken Way by Ann Voskamp, oh, which was a lot about suffering. Mm. And I was kind of hesitant to listen to it because sometimes spiritual writing can be overblown. I, I know that's probably terrible to say, I think, you know, but this actually I thought was really, um, very beautiful and poignant about suffering and giving ourselves away in the middle of feeling broken ourselves. Mm. It, uh, was just really beautiful. And I also listened to, um, Brene Brown's The Power of Vulnerability, <laughs> which I really liked. And I thought was just good about, um, it resonated with me about being honest about those things that, uh, we're encountering in our daily lives that we sometimes want to hide or pretend that we've got it all together, mm. but that actually people connect with us the best when we're, when we're vulnerable, mm. you know, because they feel like they, they can relate to it. Yeah. So I like, I liked those. You might be sorry you asked. That's great. <laughs> no, th- that's awesome. I, I actually haven't read any of those. I've, I've read a, a little bit of Anne Voskamp, but I haven't read that particular book and, um, yeah, I haven't read the other ones, so I'll have to check those out. That's great. Um, and then my last question for you is, do you have any mom hacks to share or something that's making your life a little bit easier? My, my Instapot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I have one of those. <laughs> yeah. I I mean, I, I I use it all the time. That is, I, I, That's a pretty probably well-known mom hack, but I highly recommend if you are feeding a crowd, there is nothing better than the Instapot. Yeah. Quick and, and edible. Yeah. It's so good. I like we have um this family recipe for um stuffed cabbage that would take like really like hours to make that I, I really enjoyed and my family enjoyed it but I I just wouldn't make it too often. Well in the Instapot it cooks in like twenty seven minutes and so oh it's like it's so fast. Or even like dry dry beans. Like you can cook yes. dried beans in like forty minutes or something. <laughs> crazy now does the cabbage thing taste good as good as it would if you did it yeah honestly it does yeah it really does okay because some i there was one thing i tried that i was like okay this does not taste as good okay as right but i find a lot of them taste really good yeah (laughs) that's so funny yeah so i'm glad you mentioned that we i talked about the instapot i think maybe in like one of my earlier episodes but i haven't mentioned it since then but we use it i mean several times a week. So <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned I, it. Too. And I have to admit, like, you know, I, I'm thinking of like some online friends that I have that are just like filled with mom hacks. And I am not like a mom. I just don't, I, I just, I'm not methodical enough. I mm-hmm. think I'm too um, big picture to think, oh, this would be helpful to someone else. But my Instapot, it, 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 I swear by it. Yeah, that's so <laughs> great. Yeah, I love it. Love that you mentioned it. Uh, well, thanks again, Colleen. This has been so lovely. Is there um, a place where you like to send people to check out um, like your writing or like where they can find yes. your books? I um, am currently working on a project, so I'm not producing much pu- public writing oh, right okay. now yet. But you can find me on Instagram um, at Colleen Murphy Duggan. And I'm on Twitter and Facebook. I have a personal page, uh, also Colleen Murphy Duggan. And my website is ColleenMurphyDuggan.com. Okay, wonderful. Great. And I will um, go ahead and link to all those in the show notes as well for people that want to connect. That's great. Um, let me go ahead and close this in a prayer. 
Lord Jesus, thank you so much for um, this time to chat today. And I pray for all of the women listening and whatever season and stage that they might be in, that um, we would just find time, Lord, and make time to rest and take care of ourselves and also make time um, to be with you and really make that a priority, Lord. Um, Jesus, we we love you and um, we offer you this time and we offer you this day in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hi, friends. I love how Colleen shared that in her brokenness, her kids will have memories of her, not as a perfect mom, but as a mom who knew where to go, a mom seeking grace from the fountain. I also love how Colleen shared that the key to discerning how we should use our time is prayer, because ultimately that's a question for God. And lastly, how Mother Mary didn't lose herself as a person when she became a mom. Jesus made her become more of the person God made her to be. And in a similar way, our vocation should reveal to us a deeper sense of who we are. Thanks for listening in today, friends. Until next time, you all are in my prayers. God bless. Okay, do you guys want to say something? Uh, Can we call after this?